there, I just want to say that you have got to be the most insipid, ridiculously idiotic, moronic person I've ever heard on any form of media. Exiled by society, friends, lovers, and terrestrial radio. A guy with literally nothing left to lose. For 15 years, he's been telling it like it is. This is the Zip Code Famous Michael Groff Show. wish I could take the show outside. Just do the show live from the backyard or from down the street or from somewhere that's just outdoors. I don't feel that way a lot, but there are just some days where it would be nice. It's glorious out right now. Absolutely fantastic. This is why I'm here. Uh, I'm going to keep bragging about it until the weather starts to go back to being absolute garbage. But it is... I just went out to get the mail. It is probably 55 out, maybe 60. And there's quite a bit of wind. That's what, And there are clouds. It looks like it might even rain, but I'm telling you, that doesn't even bother me. I sat out in the rain yesterday and had lunch with friends. We sat on the patio out at Chelsea's Kitchen yesterday afternoon for about two or three hours and just had brunch out there in the rain. It wasn't raining the entire time, and it wasn't like a hard rain, basically, but it was intermittent showers. That was great. I don't. I can't remember the last time I sat outside and sort of had lunch in like a, a light drizzle or a light rain. That is something to do, though. And I'm sure if I lived in the Pacific Northwest or somewhere where it rained frequently, I probably would get sick of it, but I love cloudy days, rainy days. That is just, to me... That's um, a little slice of heaven. All right, so, uh, and I was, of course, before I get into anything else, I just want to say I uh, was tuning around the radio dial this morning because I like to keep my finger on the pulse of the culture locally, nationally, etc. And I don't know what makes me more upset. All of the bloviating and just the crazy opinions that people are throwing out there about France and terrorism and all that. Or the fact that I heard Taylor Swift on four different radio stations in this market simultaneously. Both of our pop stations were playing Taylor Swift. One, I think, was playing uh, Bad Blood, and the other was Wildest Dreams, and then Blank Slate was on uh, the other two adult contemporary stations in the market. And then you wonder why people are shifting away from that and going to iTunes and Pandora and Spotify and their own personal music libraries and podcasts and things like that, which is good news for me. But still, that was very telling. I don't know. Don't worry. We're going to get into some of that stuff as well. Not Taylor Swift, but we are going to talk about some of the serious stuff. So if you're wondering about that, there are some people that don't like it when we talk about that. Some people are like... I. Whenever I describe the podcast to people, and I do mention we talk about politics, they go, oh, I, I don't like politics. And I'm like, well, we don't just talk about politics on this show. It's 
become less and less really over the years. We certainly get into it and we have our fair share about stuff that's happening in the news, but we talk about literally anything and everything on this show. Like for example, I'm telling you about what I did yesterday, how I, I ate outside. I'm eating in the rain with good friends and good food and good conversation. Uh, and that was glorious. And I wish I could do that every single day. That would be the way to live. But then again, it doesn't rain here every day. In fact, it's you know a pretty rare event. So maybe that's why it's especially great. Uh, the weekend was kind of crazy. It was very surreal, some of it. Uh, I guess we'll just going in reverse order. First, last night, the Arizona Cardinals really made a statement, didn't they? Pretty much just dominated the Seattle Seahawks. Yes, the final score was pretty close. And yes, uh, the Cardinals played poorly for about nine minutes of that game. But overall, uh, what a statement. The Cardinals take a three-game lead in the NFC West and look like maybe they are the team that people around this market hype them up to be. All the sports guys and everybody is just touting this team as a Super Bowl contender. And maybe they are. Maybe. That was a big win last night. Although I will say this. I don't know why people continue to tout Seattle as this dangerous and deadly team. And, oh, the Legion of Boom. And, oh, they're this vaunted defense. I was watching them last night. Their offense was anemic. The first 29 minutes of that game, Seattle was outscored 25-10. to 10. They, uh, the first, what, 27 minutes, they only had one first down. That was a team that absolutely got shut out and destroyed in the first half of that game. They got a touchdown late in the first half, but they were just beaten down. Russell Wilson looked very ordinary last night. Their defense couldn't stop anything. And so this, it just made me think, as I've watched Seattle play a few times this year, and I think it's a team that's living on their reputation. This is a team that, yes, they went to the Super Bowl last year. They won the Super Bowl the year before that. I understand they're the reigning NFC champions. I get it. They still have Richard Sherman. Yeah, they have Marshawn Lynch. Yeah, they have uh, Russell Wilson. Yeah, they've got a pretty decent team up there. Yes, they have that crowd, which is incredibly loud. When you watch it on TV or listen on the radio, it you can tell it's a thunderous crowd. But I, I would imagine being there, you just go deaf. It is, uh, that's why, I mean, they're big on the 12th man up there. That is a, a big advantage that they have. And what are they, 29-3 and three in their last 32 games at home, Seattle? So I get it. It's a huge advantage. But this was not the Seattle team that has gone to the Super Bowl two consecutive seasons. And this is a team that the Cardinals dominated through all, well, basically 51 of the 60 minutes last night. The Cardinals dominated that game and wound up winning. They put up 39 points against Seattle in their own building. That's all you really need to know. They won the game. They take a three-game lead in the division. So that I learned that over the weekend. I also learned that the Minnesota Vikings, I don't know if they're any good or not, but maybe, maybe this is just one of those years that's set up for them as well. They won yesterday. They beat Oakland on the road. I don't know if they're any good or not, but they're 7-2. and two. The Cardinals are 7-2. and two. So maybe those are your, your top three teams in the NFC right now. Carolina, the Vikings, and the Cardinals, at least record-wise. So we will see ultimately what happens there. And I also learned, and I had this conversation over the weekend about religious beliefs and whatnot. I have always maintained that I am an agnostic. I don't know what's out there. I don't know what to believe. I, I keep an open mind. But I think it's a possibility 
Tom Brady is convincing me that there very well may be a heaven, a hell, and especially a devil, because I'm convinced Tom Brady has made a deal with the devil. There has to be some type of supernatural influence that makes it so everything this guy does just works. Think about it. There's no other scientific or logical explanation for any of it. Yesterday, the Patriots not even playing their best game at all uh, against the Giants, a team that had beaten them twice in the Super Bowl, and yet looking like maybe this is a game that could get away and ruin their perfect season to this point, Tom Brady just finds a way to will his team back to victory. Every pass this guy throws, somehow it just finds its way to the receiver, even if he underthrows or overthrows. There's always a call that goes in his favor. There's always something that just happens miraculously for Tom Brady to make it work out. The guy's, the whole, his whole life is just, it's classic deal with the devil. He's got the hot wife. He's, uh, you know, a good looking dude. He's not an idiot. He's very well spoken. He's very well put together. Just uh, his whole life is just set out for him right there. Got the world by the balls, everything. And he's arguably the best quarterback that's ever played in this game. No, I'm not a fan. I'm not a hater. I'm just a guy that's sitting here neutrally watching this and just in complete awe of how someone can just be, can just have everything that good. Millions of dollars, all the fame, really hardly anything bad has ever happened to the guy. Oh, sure, he had the deflate gate stuff that went on. All right, whatever. Uh, everyone's forgotten about that anyway. No one really thinks Tom Brady's that big of a cheater, even if he is. It's like people go, eh, whatever. It's Tom Brady. Who cares? He probably would have won anyway. Doesn't matter what he does. Like he could, he could have a broken arm and go out there and probably still win anyway. So who cares if he deflates something or inflates something or whatever he does? So that's what I learned yesterday. I could just imagine. That, remember, this is a guy. Tom Brady was a sixth round draft pick. He was a backup quarterback to Drew Bledsoe, who then suffers a mysterious injury, and it gives Tom Brady the opportunity, and then he never looks back from that. I mean, I can just see him sitting there. Man, I would just really love an opportunity to play in this league. Oh, really? Oh, hey, devil. Yeah, I just want a chance to get in there. Maybe, you know, make a few plays. I don't need to be the best. Oh, you could be the best, Tom. Just sign here. Well, all right. I mean, what have I got to lose? Exactly. All right, I'll I'll sign. Oh, what's this uh, about a soul? Oh, don't mind that, Tom. That's just a formality. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have to go help a struggling band named Nickelback. See you in 60 years. <laughs> yeah, I don't think we're ever going to see anything bad happen to Tom Brady. He is literally the Dick Clark of the NFL. Remember Dick Clark, the record producer, the guy that was the game show host, uh, American Bandstand, just had everything going for him in his life. The guy that hit the age of about 40 and just looked like he was always 40, just looked like a, a pretty young guy, great hair, articulate, good voice, had millions and millions of dollars, everything at his command. And then about what when he hit about 78 or something, he had a stroke and then he stuck around for a few more years and then died. That's probably what's going to happen. I think he made the same deal that Tom Brady made, to be honest. Uh, talk about a guy that had everything going for him. So, yeah, Tom Brady will just eventually, I don't know, hit 75, have a stroke, and then count us down to New Year. It'll be Tom Brady's rocking New Year's Eve. 
and he'll reveal right on his deathbed, yeah, I made a deal with the devil. Um, that's why, that's how I was able to do it all. That's my secret. And now I, I'm his for, for eternity. I don't know. That's gotta be, that's my only explanation. I'm sorry. Start, sorry to stray away from my agnostic values, but, uh, that is my only explanation right now. Why not? That's what we do. When we don't understand something, we just make up what could be a plausible explanation, right? I don't know. And there is no explanation uh, for some of the other events that went on. Saturday was a good day. I'll, I'll get to all the serious stuff in a second. Seriously, Saturday was a good day. I, I really, I had a good time out. Uh, again, friends, conversation, laughs, and uh, just hanging out and... Um, it was really good. Saturday was really good. Friday was the emotional roller coaster. And it all started Friday morning, really, when I was doing some show prep. I was, I'm always looking for stuff for this show. I was looking for stuff to talk about. I'm always reading the news and staying up to date, even though sometimes I hate it. Uh, and I saw that President Obama made an interesting comment Friday morning that ISIS was pretty much, quote, contained. And I just thought that was kind of an interesting remark. But it's just one of those things you read it and you go, oh, okay, that might be something to bring up and talk about later on. And then Friday afternoon, all hell breaks loose in Paris. We find out that, yeah, uh, ISIS made all of those claims that, of responsibility. Eight people, eight suicide bombers managed to take out 150 people, injure 350 to 400 more. I, the death toll is different depending on different sources. I've read 147, some say 159, whatever. It's tragic and it's sad. But when the story first broke, I guess I realized that I still have a little bit of sensitivity within me because I did feel sad and I did feel for the people of Paris and those people that died. And you do feel for your fellow man. And then I saw, of course, you're watching TV and you see those images of the people that are dead. And it's not some movie. It's right there. It's real life. It's in front of you. And you can't believe that they're even showing this on TV. But there they are. Dead bodies, blood all over the place. And it is horrible. And then you see the videos that people were taking from inside the concert hall where this happened. And it was really eerie frightening you don't even know what you would do in that moment and it just all hits you and yes I was sad momentarily but then what really got me sad was then I thought about it and I said boy this is just kind of life in the 21st century this is just uh, everyday life now huh and that made me really sad I sat there and I went man that is uh, that's a really kind of sobering thought to think that this is just the way it is and you do get desensitized to these things over time of course you do. Yeah, you, you might still feel it if you're a caring individual in the slightest bit. But after a while, you hear enough of it and you go, oh, God, when is just going to stop? I think back to the first terrorist attack on the World Trade Center in 1993, where they uh, drove the van in, into the basement there and blew that up and uh, certainly did some damage to the trade towers back then. Then there was the attack on the USS Cole back in 2000. And I remember that I was doing the show back then. That was uh, about a month or so after I started doing the uh, syndicated version of this show. And that was crazy. And then, of course, there was it, you, you, you thought, man, how could they make it any worse? And obviously you saw what was going on in Israel, too. There was suicide bombings and all that. That was 
the Israelis were dealing with that all the time, gunmen and suicide bombings and crazy stuff like that. And that's about the time that the suicide bomb stuff really got started. And then 2001, the terrorist attacks in the World Trade Center. And you thought, I don't understand how that was so out of the scope of anything that had ever happened in the history of mankind. Yes, there had been world wars, certainly, and there had been horrible atrocities atrocities and genocides and all sorts of things throughout the history of man. But this was on a, a different level in a sense because, yeah, it may not have been six million people being killed by a bloodthirsty dictator. Yeah, it may not have been a, a religious war, a holy war necessarily, but it was a statement. It was something new and something very powerful and scary that happened and shocking. Planes, aircraft flying into buildings and you just never really had thought you'd ever see anything like that in your life. It, no one had ever even imagined it. There hadn't been movies made about that kind of craziness before. So that's that was a, a whole different level. Then it started to happen again and again. It happened in Madrid and it happened in London. They had their 7-7 over there when uh, they, the attack on the subways and whatnot. Then it happened in, uh, well, it happened, uh, yeah, obviously they had the, the attack in Australia, Bali. They had that go on. They had, um, what else? I mean, place after place across the world, certainly in Iraq, there were plenty of terrorist attacks. And then Libya had them and they were all of, and it was, of course, again, Israel was constantly being suicide bombed and having these crazy terrorist attacks that would go on on a regular basis. And then you saw it happen in France twice this year. And you, you do certainly start to go, it's not really shocking anymore. This is just something that we have to get accustomed to. And so that was the part that was a little bit sobering when I thought about it, uh, aside from just the sheer volume of death and destruction that Eight people, when you think about it, that's what eight people can do. That's the kind of disruption that just eight crazed individuals who have a warped sense of what a belief tells them, that's what they can do. So imagine what 800 people could do or 8,000 people could do. And uh, I'm not a person that would think that it's an entire religion. It's just a, a small radical sect of Islam. It's this Wahhabist, uh, jihadist Islam sort of sect that's out there and it's scary it's frightening any radical anything is frightening radical islam in this modern day is the most frightening thing because well and this is a theme that you're going to hear again and again it doesn't have a uniform it doesn't have a country or a designation it's an idea and it's hard to fight against an idea and that takes me to the next part because obviously I overanalyze everything that happens uh, in my personal life, in my in dealings with sociology, in everything that I do. I, I hyperanalyze things and I'm sitting here going, well, what next? How is everyone going to react? How are the world leaders going to react? How are the talking heads on TV going to react? Talk show hosts, uh, members of Congress. How is society going to react to this? And of course... Well, I guess I'm not really that surprised at the reactions I saw. A lot of it's very bipartisan. Once again, it's very polarizing. And there's a lot of people that immediately just go, we need to put boots on the ground. We just need to go over there and just go guns blazing, just go over there and nuke the crap out of them people and just turn it all into a parking lot. 
you know, as usual. That's the typical reaction that you hear from a lot of people. I heard it on talk radio even this morning. A lot of guys going, well, uh, President Obama just needs to go and put uh, boots on the ground. And how President Obama responds is really going to mean everything. And I have to say, and I've heard people blaming President Obama. I've heard people calling President Obama to do something. And I'm sitting here going, A, and again, I am no fan of President Obama, okay? I have been very, very critical of, of the Obama administration, but this is another thing. This is not Barack Obama's responsibility, per se. Yes, he is responsible in the sense that we as the United States, as a, as a military presence, are responsible because we keep meddling in the affairs of these countries. We keep artificially putting these governments into power. We're meddling in things that we don't understand. We are trifling with a region that has been at war with one another and has ideals that are centuries, millennia behind. And so we continue to mess with that and then wonder why things go haywire. So yes, in that very general sense, the United States and by de facto President Obama is responsible. But You can't blame President Obama any more than you can President Bush or Clinton or whatever or anybody uh, for what has happened in France. This is one of those things that this is, you can't just go in, and as for calling for action, yeah, you can't just go in, guns blazing, and just put 100,000 troops on the ground. This is a group of people that doesn't have a flag. They don't have a uniform. They don't have a distinction. Yeah, they live in that Raqqa, whatever, and that's a place where certainly there's a lot of people in ISIS that are gathered in that area, but they don't have one sole place or a hangout. It's not like Hezbollah. Hezbollah actually has a TV station. That's a terrorist organization that has a TV station. They have a media outlet. They have an entire... They have office buildings. They have radio networks. I don't know if we are engaged in a war on terror, how we allow all of that to exist. I'll never understand that. But nevertheless, this ISIS situation, this is not just a a thing where you can just go to one area and snuff them all out. It doesn't work that way. This is an idea that is spread across the world. And it is spreading all over Europe. And of course, now the, the other backlash is that Uh, All of these refugees that are leaving Syria and the war-torn parts of uh, the Middle East and Eastern Europe and all that, they're spreading across much of Europe, and that's freaking people out. There's a big nationalist movement in Germany. There's an anti-Islamic sentiment that's growing in France. And probably, unfortunately, you can look at it however you want, but after what happened on Friday, they feel justified in that anti-Islamic sentiment. And the same goes for the U.K., and a bunch of other places across Europe. And that is something, you know, they have long had this idea of, well, you know, we don't really have borders. We don't really have this strict immigration policy. And now they're rethinking all of that. For years, a lot of those European countries excoriated the United States because we want to have more control over our international borders. And now uh, those same countries that used to point the finger at us are saying, hmm, Maybe, maybe we need to do that. Maybe we need to be careful of who we're letting in. We need to have a vetting process. I don't know. There's no easy answer to this. But I will tell you that one solution is not just to go in with guns blazing and once again poke at the hornet's nest that is the Middle East. 
But I know that that's going to happen. As we speak, the French are reacting. They've sent some uh, bombers over there. They are, they are bombing the crap out of uh, some sites where they believe ISIS to be. I know that Russia is very leery about what's happened after one of their uh, planes exploded. They are, you know, Vladimir Putin is not going to just sit there and take that. Russia has been the victim of terrorist attacks over the years as well. So even if President Obama decides not to do anything at all, the rest of the world, or at least some of these other countries, are going to start doing the same things that we have done. And so I don't know if that's really the solution. I've never... I Well, I used to think that was the solution. And the me of 15 years ago when I started this show and even over the years thereafter, I was one of those guys that was for the war in Afghanistan. I was. I thought that that was a good idea. And to some degree, even now, I still think that, yeah, some tactical things that were done in Afghanistan were good things. And some of the Taliban outfits over there and some of those people that had harbored uh, individuals like uh, Osama bin Laden. Yes, I do think that it's good to go after them. I don't think you can be completely pacifist. With that said, I think that part of the problem that we have, and I don't want to ever blame the victim for what's happened, but this is one of those situations where the United States has been culpable in some of this. We have gone over and we have propped up governments and we've been doing it for 50 or 60 years. We did it to Iran. We got the Shah of Iran in power, the Ayatollah. Uh, we helped Osama bin Laden back in 1979, 1980, the Afghani freedom fighters. We helped them fight against the Soviets because we were afraid of the Soviets. We then turned around and helped Saddam Hussein in the mid-80s fight against the Iranians. Uh, we gave Saddam Hussein weapons and tanks and guns to fight against the Iranians. We have... we. We put that um, uh, that leader over. We we propped up Egypt for thirty years. You know, we had that government, and then we put in a new government in Egypt. We helped the Muslim Brotherhood get elected, and the Muslim Brotherhood is now banned in Egypt because they turned out to be even worse. So, and then we, I don't know. We have tried everything that we could to get various people in power, and we have every time we have done so. We have made a big mistake. We have always interfered and put the wrong people in power or helped the wrong people to get into power only to have to go back and fight against them later on. And so that is why we probably should just sit back and go, you know, our track record isn't really good. And we've poked at this many times and it hasn't worked out in our favor. And I, this morning... I heard on the uh, radio people are like, well, you know, Iraq is better off today than it was when we first invaded it in 2003. It is safer. It is more secure. Everyone says so. Well, if that's the case, if Iraq is really better today than it was in 2003 when we invaded, and don't get me wrong, Saddam Hussein is a bastard and we're all glad that he's dead. But uh, if Iraq is really so much better, then how come terrorists are hiding out there? ISIS didn't exist in 2003. No one had ever heard of ISIS. And yet here they are. They have emerged in the post 9-11 era. So we are stirring up the, the stick over there. We are really getting on it. And we are bringing out a lot of these crazies. 
And it's because we're sitting over there bombing the crap out of them. And you don't think that that's going to have repercussions after a while. And then you say, well, Mike, what do we do about it? Do we just let these people kill each other? Do we just let all this stuff happen? Well, there's not much we can do about it, unfortunately. This is not a group of people that advertises where they are. And this is something that we have helped to create. Yes, these are radical people that would have existed whether the United States ever showed up in the Middle East or not. That is true. There are radical people in every religion. But we are not helping our cause by shooting and bombing and blowing everything up over there. We are definitely not making ourselves any more liked. And not just the United States, Russia, same thing for Russia, same thing for anybody else that goes over there. If people really wanted to help, they would help by educating people in these third world countries. They would help by trying to spread education instead of violence. And I think that's very important. And the, the last thing I'll say on this topic, and I don't understand why the United States is always the world's police force, when quite frankly, we can't even police ourselves. We have millions of children that go to bed hungry every night. We have, we have a France that goes on every day here in the United States. Every day, 150 people die from murders, more than that. But every day, hundreds of people in this country are killed by murders. Yeah, it's not a terrorist attack. It's not a suicide bombing, but it's a stabbing. It's a shooting. It's a baseball bat to the back of the head. It's a whatever in cities all across this country. We can't even control our own citizens. Yes, our murder rate is not as high as it used to be in many of our biggest cities, but it still happens, and it still happens way more than it should. We have 25% of the world's prison population in this country. And yet we go around acting like the moral authority and being the world's police force when, frankly, we're not always on the right side. And that is a problem. Until we have fixed our infrastructure, our bridges, our roadways, our electrical grid, our economy, our society, so that it's not acceptable to have however many people, two, three, four, five hundred murders in a year in our biggest cities. Until that becomes something that we repair and that we cut down and we minimize, I don't think we should be the world's police force. But hey, what do I know? I'm sure that all those people that are homeless and on the street right now and all those people that are underemployed and undereducated and all of those people that are the victims of crimes across this country would say, oh, sure, why not? Let's just spend some more money going over to Afghanistan and to Iraq and to Syria and Libya and Egypt and everywhere else that we are that's not here in the United States. I'm sure that some guy that's standing in line for soup this afternoon that doesn't have a home, is probably totally cool with us uh, helping out the Iraqis and making sure that their gas prices are low and putting in a government where people over there can get food and shelter. That's really great, and that's a good job that we're doing. The United States really is that friend or relative that sticks their nose in your business. Meanwhile, their life is a mess. You know who I'm talking about. It's always the person that tells you that you're raising your kids wrong or that you're uh, not leading a good life or, oh, I can't believe you did that. Meanwhile, their life is a complete catastrophe. That's what we're doing. Our country has a lot of problems, and yet we are casting judgment 
and we are taking actions in other nations when our own is not perfect or even near perfect or in any state that we should be going around and talking to other countries about how to run their business. So, oh, and I have to mention this too. Uh, I was watching some of the coverage on CNN and I don't know why, but Christiane Anampour was on there and I actually was enjoying that coverage. They were having a conversation, I think with Aaron Burnett or something. They're having a conversation. They're talking about what's going on. They're going through the facts of how everything has happened and some of the sights and the sounds and just everything. And while Christiane Anampour is talking about how this may impact the West and what sorts of things to look out for with ISIS as we go forward. Then they suddenly go to a split screen and they're showing the members of U2 have showed up at this situation, you know, in, in Paris. And they're there and they're just taking pictures with people and they're posing for pictures and all of this. And I'm thinking to myself, here you're talking about something really serious and you're talking about what's happened. And then on the other side of the screen, you've got you two just standing there and, and you're showing that. Are we such a terrible celebrity obsessed culture that we need to have, we need to show you two is also there and they've showed up so that we can somehow validate that this is a real thing. It was weird. And then in the middle of Christiane and poor talking, uh, Aaron Burdett or somebody interrupts and go, oh, by the way, there's you too. They've showed up here. And it's like, it's almost like this is not a red carpet premiere event, okay? This is not a time for celebrity photo op. This is not a time for you to make your presence known. This is a time where people are suffering. And look, I, I realize maybe, maybe you too was there to pay homage or may, maybe their intentions were fine. But you've got to, if you're CNN, could you at least finish the damn discussion? Could you at least make it seem like you care about getting the story out there more than the entertainment aspect of it? I don't know. Maybe it just set me off. It really made me feel a little weird about what's going on over there at CNN. Again, they were the gods of cable news back in 1991 or whatever, back uh, during the first Gulf War. They were absolutely amazing, amazing coverage. They were an amazing cable news network. And now... They are fledgling. They are they are behind Fox News, MSNBC. They're behind everybody. They're behind your local news. I don't even know why Christiane Anampour is there. It feels kind of like you're wasting your career on CNN at this point. Go to Fox. Go to MSNBC. Go anywhere else. Like an international correspondent for CNN, which is great and very informed and whatnot. But boy, in this particular situation, uh, ESPN or ESPN, uh, CNN. Well, CNN was like ESPN. They just made it all about entertainment. Good job. Surprised they didn't put a box score up there. All right. Well, we'll take a break and we'll get into more stuff. There's actually not quite so serious stuff that's going on that I, I want to talk about as well. And uh, who knows? Maybe we'll have some laughs. Maybe we'll try and lighten it up. Maybe I'll just take the show outside. I'll find a way. I'll just do the rest of the show from the iPhone or something. I don't know. We'll figure it out. We'll be back. Zip code famous. Michael Graff Show. Oh, your reputation's so golden. 
16th, 2015. Groff Show at gmail.com, our email address. It's also the PayPal address for your donations. Michael Groff on Twitter. MichaelGroff.com for everything else Michael Groff related. One of my favorite names in politics, John Hickenlooper. He is the governor of the state of Colorado. He has issued an executive order. See, these are the complications that sort of come with having marijuana legalized in a state is that there are regulations that need to be placed on how it's distributed, how it's grown, how it's treated, where it's sold, the taxation. There's a lot of there's a lot of things you have to think about. Of course, I'm still an advocate, but uh, this is another complication, and that is uh, he issued an executive order the other day that says that these uh, cannabis plants that are treated uh, by pesticides should be destroyed. They are a public health hazard and effective immediately. This is actually as of last, I guess, Thursday or Friday. Uh, any plant that it, certain unapproved or non-approved pesticides are used upon, uh, they should immediately be taken out of uh, circulation and all of the uh, pot that's grown from that should be destroyed. Obviously, you know, these pesticides are, are somewhat necessary, but people, there's just a lot of people growing this stuff now, and there's a lot more popping up all over the place because obviously it's become a huge industry in Colorado. So, and of course they had medical marijuana before that as well. So this has become, um, this has become a problem. And this is one of those things that could cost the state some money, but uh, I guess, I guess Hickenlooper is okay with pot itself, but this is something that, uh, another thing that needs to be considered. Meanwhile, in this state, here in Arizona, we have politicians that fight regularly against medical marijuana. We have our own county attorney, Bill Montgomery, who tried very hard to get dispensaries shut down. Do you know, I just saw this too, I know I'm all over the place on this topic, but I see that in Denver... They have more dispensaries than they do Starbucks. I think they have like 288 dispensaries and 204 Starbucks. Or maybe it's 388 to 204. It's, it's amazing. Uh, there's, it's hard to find anything that's more prevalent than Starbucks, but marijuana dispensaries. There you go. Meanwhile, here in Phoenix, they do everything they can to keep those from opening up, even though the voters approved medical marijuana. We vote voted and approved for it three times uh, in this state and uh, yet we still have trouble getting it off the ground. People are getting their cards and people are still getting it but it's harder to get than it 
really should be, and that's unfortunate. Um, I don't know if we ever got into this. This was another thing that happened like two weeks ago, but, you know, Ohio had marijuana up on the ballot. I know John Kasich is really proud of this presidential candidate, the guy that sweats all the time, you know, John Kasich. He's really happy that the voters of Ohio said no to legalizing marijuana. And it was by a pretty, pretty good margin, like 60 to 40. So that was impressive. The state of Ohio, I guess, said no. Meanwhile, I, I really thought that the Midwest, I thought they would go ahead and approve that. But it's those conservative Midwest values, I guess. They're pretty open about some things. I guess marijuana legalization is just not, they're not ready for it over there. Colorado, Oregon, Washington remain the states that have it. Uh, Alaska has a certain recreational usage or a certain type of situation going on as well. It's hard to really understand the laws up in Alaska. It's almost like it's its own country. It does seem weird. up there. Well, Sarah Palin came from there, so enough said. All right, meanwhile, also on Friday, lost in all the shuffle, and not to make light of it, but it did happen. For all of you gamers out there, you know. Fallout 4 was released. It's a big, a very highly anticipated game. I know a lot of people that were talking about it and excited that it came out. And it was a huge release. People were taking sick days from work. This was something I was reading about all over the place. People finding excuses to get out of work. I know, getting out of work to play a game. Yes, people do that. That's why America is a great country. God bless it. Um, but it the, the release of the game was so huge that people stopped doing other things, too. Like, for example, Pornhub, one of the world's largest adult websites, and it's the porn site of porn sites, basically, they saw a 10% decrease in users. Uh, they say that on November, well, actually, the game came out on Wednesday, I guess, or whatever. Anyway, uh, when it came out, they say that the traffic started to drop off around 5 a.m. after people finished downloading the game and installing it. The decrease continued all the way until around 3 p.m. Gamers then seemed to disappear again beginning at 6 p.m. So, you know, they had to, they played, they binge played the game for like 10 straight hours. They then had to get on, the, you know, Pornhub, beat off a little bit and then go to sleep. And then after their three-hour uh, post uh, masturbatory nap. They get up and play more. <laughs> they get up and play more Fallout and don't go on Pornhub again. If there's one thing that will take a lot of geeks away from porn, it's a good video game because good video games are better than porn. Fallout Fallout 4 is a lot better than just watching some lesbians get it on. I can see that anytime, but this is Fallout 4, guys. Games are just another form of porn to some people. To a lot of people. I don't know. I, I'd rather just have the real thing over games or porn, but what can I say? Anyway, quote, we can't say we're too surprised with what happened to our traffic during peak gaming hours, Pornhub Vice President Corey Price told GamesBeat. Quote, based on the data, it looks like a huge surge of people decided to indulge in some wasteland wandering by taking the day off of work and school to play. Well, the rest of the world had to wade through what we assume were the longest hours of work ever in anticipation of some alone time with their consoles. Yeah, and then after that, they, they go and have some alone time with, uh, with Pornhub, I guess. So there you go. Uh, Fallout 4 was easily one of the most popular, widely anticipated games and had one of the biggest releases ever. 
Over 12 million copies of the game have been sold, as confirmed by the publisher Bethesda. And then, let's see, at its peak, more than half a million people were playing Fallout 4 at the same time. And that number regularly rests around 350,000 concurrent users. So, and of course, you have to believe that some of those people are going to be on Pornhub as well. So that's where that goes. Apparently, the people at, over at Pornhub weren't too disappointed, though. Quote, as huge fans of the game, we can't say we blame anyone for swapping Pornhub time for some for some pimp boy surfing instead, uh, said Price. Quote, we would have done the same. Well, there you go. Now, they do say that people that play the game eventually do come back to Pornhub. Everybody always eventually comes back to Pornhub after several more hours of playing. They say around 11 p.m. at night, the traffic does seem to start coming back. So people have binge played all day. And then at the end of the day, again, they've got the adrenaline going once again and they need more release time. So Pornhub, it's a boomerang user situation over there. People always come back. I don't know. I've never gone from playing video games and jumping directly into porn. That's just not my scene, but I can see how a lot of these guys probably would. I don't know. All my years of being single now, uh, I, <laughs> I have not done that. I don't know. I haven't jumped from gaming or I really haven't jumped from doing one activity directly into porn. I don't know. That's not really my scene. Maybe I would if I was with someone. I might be more inclined to do that if they were into watching porn. I've actually never watched porn with somebody, with a with a woman before, or with anybody. I would never watch porn with a dude. And I've never, I don't know, I have uh, never watched porn with a girlfriend before either. Maybe that's an experience. Maybe I just haven't lived a full life yet because I haven't done that. So there you go. You learn something new about me every day listening. And by the way, if uh, my if anybody in my family ever listens, they're learning stuff about me too. So you can just see that conversation coming up at Thanksgiving. It's right around the corner. We're going out uh, to a nice dinner. So, and my mom just, so I understand that uh, you don't go on Pornhub uh, after you, you know, after you do your uh, podcast or after you play some games or whatever you do. Maybe you should try it more often. Okay, Ma, I'll, I'll consider that. Can you, I, I don't even want to think about it. Never mind. All right, moving on to something else. Here you go. From porn to food. That's, that's a good transition. Porn right into food or food right into porn always is a winning combo. That is the one-two punch that any man can appreciate. Sex, food. Uh, maybe not necessarily at the same time, but, eh, you know, maybe that's fun, too. Anyway, this is one of those classic stories about all-you-can-eat. And you know, the people that take advantage of all-you-can-eat type of situations. And I've done it. Don't get me wrong. I'm not above it at all. I am not trying to make myself seem holier than thou. But this is just a situation where you have to understand it's all you can eat. Not all you and everyone else can eat. Uh, that apparently was a problem for Natasha West, who is a 27-year-old from Chicago. She is facing assault and property damage charges after becoming enraged with a Denny's waitress who explained to her that she is not allowed to share her $4 all-you-can-eat pancake special with her friends. West was dining Friday at a Denny's in Oaklawn, uh, which is a Chicago suburb. A server explained that the unlimited pancake offer was good for a single diner. 
This did not sit well with Natasha West, who was apparently under the impression that for $4, she could share with everyone at the table as much as she wanted. According to the Oak Lawn Police Department, West cursed at the waitress. She threw several (laughs) punches at the employee. Uh, Although all of her punches apparently missed, she's like Ronda Rousey, I guess. We'll get into that later. Anyway, West and her party then left the Denny's without paying their tab, but not before repeatedly kicking a door on the way out. West subsequently was collared uh, by the police department. Uh, Denny's workers uh, gave police a description of the car in which the uh, party had fled. West was charged with assault and damage to property. One of West's friends, Jerome Ivory, 31, was busted for providing police with false identification. Yes, all of that over $4 all-you-can-eat pancakes from Denny's, of all things. Not even Waffle House, not even IHOP, just Denny's pancakes. Four bucks. My goodness. I can see how that would... I pay my $4. I should be able to share with whoever I want. Mm-hmm. Well, you can't tell me who I can't share with. I'll kick out this door. Mm. Mm-hmm. I'll do it again. I will. I swear I will. Oh, yeah. That's exactly... That's exactly how that probably went down. Well, there you have it. Reason number 937 why you should never go to Denny's. A public service brought to you by your friends here at the Zip Code Famous Michael Groff Show. Here's another one. Speaking of really stupid people. Here is a guy that got suckered out of $718,000 by psychics. I am not one of those dudes that believes or buys into the whole idea of psychics. I've always said, hey, if a psychic is really psychic, they'll come to me and tell me about an event. You know all those psychics that on September 12th told you that they predicted September 11th? Yeah, those people... Not really one person. I'm not somebody that really buys into a lot of that because a lot of that seems really, really crazy. Now, I'm not saying that it's completely, totally, 100% far-fetched, but I have to say that most of these people, you know, the Miss Cleos of the world and all of that, they're crazy. And, but I have to also say this, and here's, well, here's the story. All right, here's this guy. He, his name is Nial Rice, and he got suckered out of two out of seven hundred eighteen thousand dollars by two Manhattan psychics over a period of time. They vowed to reunite him with the woman he loved, even after it was discovered that she was dead. There was the eighty mile bridge made of gold, which had a <laughs> a reincarnation portal. They even told him that they had a time machine that they could use. (laughs) They had a time machine they could use to uh, help restore uh, some of the things that have happened in the past or defend against things that happened in the past. Quote, I just got suckered in, the man, Neal Rice, said in a telephone interview. Quote, that's what people don't understand. How can you fall for it? Quote, it's embarrassing now, he said. Uh, yeah, you think? 
I mean, props to you for having the balls to come forward and say, hey, I got suckered out of 718000 bucks." But in May, police arrested one of the psychics, Patricia or Priscilla Kelly Del Moro, a 26-year-old, after Rice uh, sought out a private investigator and decided to press charges. She was charged with grand larceny. The man's identity was not revealed in court documents, but Mr. Rice, a 33-year-old British consultant, said that he chose to come forward that week after learning that the Manhattan District Attorney's Office intended to allow Miss Del Mero uh, to plead guilty in exchange for a year in jail. And that was unlikely uh, that she would that uh, Rice would ever see restitution. Like, he wasn't ever going to get his money back. Quote, I just want justice, Rice uh, said from his uh, Los Angeles home. Quote, I just want her to not be able to do anyone else the harm she did to me. Well, here's the thing. And I have to tell you, the thing about psychics is that you have to be smart enough to know that most people just don't have superpowers, okay? This is not TV. This is not the movies. This isn't medium, okay? You are going to someone that tells you they can see the future. It's a person that works in some Manhattan office. If they could really see the future, do you think they would be spending their time talking to you? Or do you think they would be reaping in their 83rd consecutive Powerball winning? Do you think they would ever even bother to talk to you? If they really, if they were really a psychic and they really had everything nailed down, do you think they would waste their time with some dude hoping to find his wife who's been dead for years? Or his the person that he wanted to marry? Do you think that that would go on? I understand people want to believe in a lot of things. And it sucks when someone takes advantage of people that are in vulnerable situations. That John Edwards guy. No, not former presidential candidate John Edwards. I mean, the John Edwards that spoke to dead people. I always found him to be one of the most reprehensible human beings because it was, of course, proven that he was full of crap. And that he was one of those guys that was just preying on the weakness of people that had lost loved ones. And it was that whole thing where they went to him and he found out information about them. And, oh, yes, I see someone. Her name starts with... I want that background check say again. Uh, oh, her name was Janet. That's right. Her name was Janet. Yes, yes, yes. Janet wants you to know that she's okay. And then she's thinking of you. Oh, I, I see a ring. Yes, there was. She wore a ring. Yeah, I see a ring. Oh, it's beautiful. And Janet is such a beautiful person. And, you know, that's the kind of thing that these people do. And they take advantage of people at their weakest moments. And so I, I hate to always be the guy that blames the victim for getting suckered. Because scams exist. People get bilked out of their money all the time. So I get it. I I do have some sympathy and you do have to have laws in place. But at the same time, a lot of these psychics and these psychic phone lines, for example, they always tell you that it's for entertainment purposes only. It's always in the fine print. So it's very hard to go after them and sue them. The only time you could really sue is if they tell you definitively that they are psychic and that they can see into the future and blah, 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 because that's fraud. 
But anything other than that, if they say, yeah, I can do that, and then the fine print, they're like, uh, we actually can't do that. Not a guarantee. This is just for entertainment purposes only. If they do that, then they're clear. They're covered. So, sorry, dude. I don't think you're entitled to your $718,000 back. Don't you think that after you paid the first few thousand dollars and you didn't really see any results, don't you think you should have gone, you know what, man? All right. Why not just ask the psychics a few basic questions? You walk in, you go, hey, um, so uh, you're psychic. Um, what's my name? Uh, well, that's if I went to a psychic and they were really a psychic, I would sit there and go, before we even start, I will pay you money if you can tell me right now what my name is. Who am I? What's my name? What's my phone number? Where was my first address? Where was I born? Tell me something about me. Not general stuff like, well, you were born on a dark and stormy night. No, nothing like that. Give me, give me something very specific. Tell me exactly where I was born. Tell me what time it was, the date. You know, tell me who I am, and then I'll I'll shell out all the money you want because you can clearly see into the past without knowing who I am. So you probably are likely to be able to see into the future. You know, I'm not saying I don't believe at all in because some people can do some crazy things. Just like being an agnostic, it's like I'm sure that there's probably been something that you just cannot explain through medical science that has happened, some kind of miracle where somebody's cancer has gone away. Well, hell. Magic Johnson doesn't have HIV anymore, I don't think. Well, he never developed AIDS. Guy's still alive and more healthy than he was in 1991 when he retired. So I don't know. I can't explain that. He, he did have it. The science says he had it. The, the tests say he had it. What happened to it? I don't know. But it's one of those things that uh, there are certain things that people can see and that happened to them. And everyone's had that weird kind of experience, or many people have had a weird experience where you have a dream and then it just happens, or, or, or it's very, you're, you're experiencing that deja vu sensation, and you kind of think you know it's going to happen next. That's different from, I can see into the future. Pay me a bunch of money. So another PSA for everyone that's listening. Uh, if you're going to a psychic and they tell you, oh, just, just pay me some money and I'll tell you what happens. Yeah, don't do that. I know, I know many of you are going, well, of course, Mike, why are you going on a rant about this? Everyone knows this. No, everyone does not know this. Luckily, no one in my family has ever succumbed to this. My mother has never succumbed to this. My grandmother is on either side, never. Nobody in my, as far as I know, even my dumb, drunk uncle has never succumbed to this. Uh, as far as I know, my family is clear of that. But just in case... Yeah, don't do that. Thank you. My grandma enters like every single sweepstakes under, under the sun. My grandma Groff, she gets involved in every single one of these raffles and drawings and lotteries and all of this stuff all the time. Anytime they send you that stuff in the mail, oh, you could win a free this or that. She signs up for every single one of them. And the reason she does it is because one time she did win a brand new car out of it. Legitimately. But that's one out of the... 50,000 things and that's probably not hyperbole either out of all the thousands and thousands of things she sent in she did get a car out of it so that's not so bad but then you have to pay the taxes on it so I don't know but even she wouldn't get involved in the psychic crap there's a difference between 
there's there's the sweepstakes, which are just like really long shots, and then there's just complete scams. So, word to the wise, all right? We're just trying to educate you here at the Zip Code Famous Michael Graff Show, all right? That's what we do. Real talk here every day. All right, when we continue, I, I actually have some email to get to, and believe it or not, even hate mail. It's been a while since we've had a quality piece of hate mail. This isn't real angst, angry hate. No one's wishing me cancer. But it's a weird one. Really weird. I'm not I'm not sure how I should feel about this. That's coming up. And a lot more too. More stupid stuff. And so much more. It's the Zip Code Famous Michael Graff Show on a Monday. We'll be back. You're listening to The Michael Graff Show. MichaelGraff.com idea to have the show outside after all it's kind of windy and it looks like it's raining now so that was an idea that probably would not have gone over too well had I tried to execute that but still you know what I don't care I'll take it we're back third and final segment the zip code famous Michael Graff show on a Monday November the 16th 2015 Groffshow at gmail.com. That's our email and PayPal. Michael Groff on Twitter. MichaelGroff.com for Michael Groff related stuff. Lost in all of the conversation that we've had so far on the show, I didn't even get into the Democrat debate from Saturday night. Yes, believe it or not, probably most of you don't know, I wasn't there to watch it. So if I wasn't there to watch it, then it just didn't happen, right? But really, it did happen, and a lot of people apparently didn't watch it. It had about 8 million viewers, which is not bad for a Saturday night program, but considering it's a debate for our next president of the United States, and since the Democrats are trying to set it up so Hillary wins, they're trying to have as few debates as possible. They're minimizing the number. And so they, I guess, you might want to try and catch these because they're very few and far between. I think the next one is next month, but it's on like a Sunday. I think at like 2 o'clock in the morning or something because, well, it's probably best to hide away Hillary as best as you can. In any event, that happened on Saturday night and it was pretty much the same old, same old. I I caught it later. Don't worry. I still watch these things for you. Uh, The only thing you missed is that 
Martin O'Malley is still irrelevant, but he's going to continue to fight. Bernie Sanders is still talking about income inequality, medical leave for mothers. I, of all the impo- of all the issues that are out there, and I realize that's an important issue, family leave and medical leave and all that sort of thing when you have a baby, but of all the issues that are pressing in this country right now, considering everything that's going on, is that like the, the issue that you should be wagging your finger at first and foremost? I don't know. Anyway, income inequality, family leave for mothers, uh, health care for everybody, affordable health care, education, legalizing marijuana, blah, blah, blah. That's pretty much the Bernie Sanders campaign. The Hillary campaign is uh, my emails, who cares about them? I, uh, I didn't do it. I'm honest, and Bernie Sanders is going to help me, too, here in this, and he does every time. He's Hillary, Hillary Clinton is being helped more by Bernie Sanders than Hillary's helping herself. She has a very high unfavorability rating. But I have to tell you right now, there is a very high certainty that Hillary Clinton gets the Democrat nomination. Um, a lot of people message me. A lot of people talk to me and say they're Bernie Sanders supporters, but I just have this feeling that this is pretty much set up on a pedestal for, for Hillary. Uh, they had some back and forth, and um, Bernie Sanders did sort of kind of call out Hillary about uh, her association with these super PACs and with uh, you know the need for campaign finance reform. That's another one of Bernie's big uh, platforms. And that Hillary is, uh, that she voted for the war in Iraq, which she now says was a mistake, and nobody is really calling her out about that. Uh, yeah, somewhat, but it's just not being stressed nearly enough. Um, I don't know. Bernie Sanders doesn't really seem to be able to take advantage of sort of this momentum that he has, especially from the youth out there that are really on his side. Um, so that's really the synopsis of these debates. That's where the Democrat debate was at. Nothing all that exciting. It even ended about seven minutes early. So that's interesting. They couldn't even... The Republicans, they're trying to get these people to fight more amongst themselves. They're trying to get more out of them. The Democrats, they can't seem to squeeze enough stuff out. So, because we pretty much know where it's at anyway there. And it does seem that... uh, I don't know how many more. I think there's only one or two more debates on the Democrat side before the primaries. Whereas there's still probably about 60 more debates for the Republicans. (laughs) Seem to have to debate every single night, which is kind of fine because as far as I'm concerned, it's just raining candy every time Ben Carson talks about something. So that's great. I do uh, also know that there are Republicans freaking out within the party right now. There is a big freak out going in the RNC if Ben Carson or Donald Trump gets the nomination. Like they are trying to come up with a way that that cannot happen. Because the establishment in the party does not want to see either one of those two get elected because it really means an embarrassment for the party. At least some of these establishment Republicans think so, that it's an embarrassment for the party and that it pretty much green lights Hillary to win. Or if Hillary Clinton should somehow implode and have a complete campaign meltdown, then imagine the scenario in which Ben Carson or Donald Trump actually wins. And Donald Trump is up in the polls. Look at it. His poll numbers continue to surge. He's at 42% right now. Ben Carson continues to have support. He continues to see uh, surging numbers in the polls. And to some degree, Rubio and Cruz have a little bit. And everybody else is just really tapered off into 
obscurity and oblivion to the point where I think a lot of those guys really have to just consider dropping out at this point. I don't think there's going to be a dark horse coming out of the Republican Party. Really, it's between about four guys right now. You're talking Trump, Carson, Cruz, Rubio. And that's pretty much it. Jeb Bush is way too far on the outside. Uh, Christy, Paul, all these dudes. I know Kasich, I think he's still sticking in there somehow, but uh, they just combined, they don't have nearly enough support to really make it worth sticking around. But uh, we'll see what happens. The next debate is uh, coming around the corner here before too much longer. So there is that. I also saw on Saturday night there was the big Ronda Rousey fight. She's the big uh, UFC, MMA person, whatever. I don't get into a lot of that. I have to be honest here. I have never been keen into watching chicks fight. That is not a sexist remark. It's just one of those things I don't like to watch women fight each other. I actually don't really watch boxing anymore at all. I don't watch any sort of martial arts or boxing or kickboxing or any of that. When I was a kid, my dad and I would watch boxing every Tuesday and Friday night. That was a regular thing for years we did. And I used to really enjoy it. And I would and then Saturday afternoon they'd have fights on sometimes or Sunday afternoon they'd have fights on sometimes and we'd watch that too. Um, and I was into that when I was a kid, but I have really kind of gotten to a point where a boxing has really become, especially at its highest level and especially in the heavyweight division, it's almost professional wrestling at this point. It's almost fixed. Uh, and even if it isn't, it is so seedy and there's such an underhanded side to it. And guys hardly ever even fight anymore. You know, back then, back in the eighties and early nineties, guys fought weekly or every few weeks now they fight every six or eight months or maybe a year between fights so it's a little bit ridiculous um some guys used to fight a couple of times a month back then you know now never basically so uh boxing's changed in that regard plus i i just think my taste in sports and athletic endeavors and competitive nature has changed a bit uh, not that I can't appreciate a good boxing match, but I never liked watching women fight, even when I was a kid. And so I, it's hard for me to get into it. And I know this Ronda Rousey, whatever, she just knocks people out in 10 seconds anyway. And I think the reason she lost this fight, and this is one of those, this was as big an upset in in that arena, in the UFC arena, as the um, Mike Tyson Buster Douglas fight was in 1990. It was that big of an upset. It was one of those things where there was such, I don't know, what was it? Ronda Rousey was favored by, I don't even know, 50 to 1 or 100 to 1 or some insane odds uh, that she was favored by. And then to the point where Vegas basically wasn't going to take any more money on the uh, deal. And of course there was this huge upset. Of course there was. It was, it was absolutely insane. And um, she just went out there. She was fighting somebody that was like a professional boxer. And she, rather than just go for the throat like she always does, she sort of tried to spar with this person, I guess. I don't, I didn't really see the, I just saw some highlights or whatever. I've heard about it. Um, uh, but the reason I'm even talking about it at all is because this chick would say, this Ronda Rousey would say stuff like, well, I am the best. Uh, she was like the Muhammad Ali. I am the best. I'm the greatest. I could fight any woman or any man. I can take them out. And it's like, no, you really can't. Believe me, you can't. You lost. You got cocky. You got arrogant or whatever you did. And then you subsequently lost. You would talk about how, oh, I could beat any man, whatever. 
And primarily it's men that watch these kinds of things. And I think that's ultimately the downfall of your popularity and probably your career because, I don't know, people aren't really going to get into it now. Who's going to sign up for another pay-per-view? I know they want to see the rematch. Nah, I don't know. I've never been into it. I saw the highlights of, you know, the 10 seconds or 8 seconds or however long it took for her to knock out her last opponent. Just not that interesting. It was just like when Mike Tyson used to do the same thing. He might get knocked out, what, Michael Spinks in 93 seconds. Another person, it was like 14 seconds or whatever. Mike Tyson would have these big pay-per-view events, these big fights. Uh, they would build these things up, and then in less than a round, in less than three minutes, he would have knocked out a lot of these people. Um, Buster Douglas, that was a weird thing. I don't know what happened that night. I have no idea. No one probably will ever know exactly how uh, he lost to a guy that no one had ever heard of. And a guy that after B Buster Douglas won, he immediately turned around and lost to somebody else. And you never heard from Buster Douglas again. So, and then that was pretty much the ruination of Mike Tyson's career, too. He was never the same person after that. And then he had the, the rape charges against him and all that sort of thing. So it just became um, a huge deal. So, I don't know. I, MMA is just weird. Uh, MMA, UFC, all of that stuff is just really weird. I um, And I I don't get it. I don't really watch it. I don't pay attention to it. I don't follow I don't follow the men's side of it either, just so we're clear about this. But I thought it was kind of weird. Oh, I can beat any man. No, well, you couldn't even beat some woman that you were favored to beat by like 100 to 1. So, I don't know. Maybe the fix was in. It seems weird. It does seem a little fixish to me. It does seem a little conspiracy tinfoil hat to me in a weird way. All right. And then there's this. Billboard has announced its greatest album of all time. You ready for this? I would never have guessed this, but... Maybe some of you would. Here we go. The greatest album of all time, according to Billboard. They're, they have their Billboard 200 list of the best albums ever. And this is number one, Adele's 21, which is an album that she put out in 2011. That is, according to Billboard, rated the greatest album of all time. Quote, Adele's Blockbuster 21 tops the Billboard 200 all-time albums ranking. Fueled not only by the set's 24 non-consecutive weeks atop the list, the most weeks at number one for an album by a woman, but also its lengthy chart run in the upper reaches of the tally, according to a post on Billboard. Coming in second on the Billboard 200 list was the soundtrack to The Sound of Music, and Michael Jackson's Thriller was third. 21 is Adele's second studio album, which debuted in 2011. Uh, bolstered by hits like Rolling in the Deep and Set Fire to the Rain, the singer earned six Grammys, including Album of the Year. Now Adele continues her chart-topping reign as her latest single continues to break records. Perhaps she'll be saying hello <laughs> uh, to even more Grammy wins in the future. So that is Billboard's assessment. This, this is, according to them, what makes for the, the best album ever. But what's weird is it did not sell the most copies of any album ever. Like it, it did well. 
She did well for um, certainly one of the best women selling. I don't know. I'm confused. I'm really confused by this. Because I'd have to go back and research, but I'm I'm convinced like Janet Jackson sold more. I don't know. Or Madonna. And you know, Adele is talented, don't get me wrong, and the music's okay, and I'm I'm fine with it. But to say it's greater than Michael Jackson's thriller, are you kidding? Or what about Dark Side of the Moon by Pink Floyd? That wasn't that on the uh, the chart for 741 weeks? I don't know. Or the wall. And even though I don't really like the Beatles that much, that's not my my wheelhouse. What about the Beatles? Aren't some of their albums up there somewhere? I don't know. This list seems really weird. Michael Jackson's Thriller, he sold, I think, 150 million copies. And I know Adele did not do that. Again, I know she's... Again, she's talented. This is not me ripping on Adele, but come on. Yes. I don't know. I could think of better albums myself, but that's just a matter of personal taste at this point, right? All right. Well, here's something that we haven't gotten to do on this show in a while, and I'm actually kind of excited about it. Time for some hate mail. Well, it's not all hate mail. There's... There's some non-hate mail, but uh, actually you can email this program, groffshow at gmail.com. We always read and respond to all of the emails, including the death threats, so keep them coming, even though I haven't had a death threat in a long, long time. So People say, do you really get death threats? Yes, I used to. I did have, way back in the day, way back in the live show days, I used to get death threats in my email, and I found them funny as hell. So check in the email. Um, again, we'll start with non-hate mail. Mike, I discovered your podcast completely randomly a couple of years ago. It's awesome. But question, is that person in the intro someone that is talking about you? And how do you handle that? They're talking about in the intro of our show where the uh, where the woman says, uh, oh, here, here's the, hold on, let me uh, bring up the intro. So this, the Michael Graff Show. Hi there. I just want to say that you have got to be the most insipid, ridiculously idiotic, moronic person I've ever heard on any form of media. Yes, that. Yes, that is actually a woman that called this show back in 2007 and was not very happy with me. So, yes, uh, <laughs> Uh, that's part of a best of segment. You can find it in the archive somewhere. And uh, she was not happy. But that's not even one of the worst things that anyone has ever said to me. Trust me. People have called and said worse things. People wrote in and said worse things to me. This is why 
And I have this conversation with people from time to time. I'm not really offended by things because of all of the things that have ever been said to me, it's very unlikely that you're going to say something that's shocking or something I haven't heard before. It's just words, people. And that goes for TV, radio, that goes for just about anything. Pretty hard to be offended, quote unquote. Now, I might, I can get hurt by things, especially when they're people I care about. But I don't get offended by things in culture or things on TV or things that people say that criticize me, especially when they're just random people. All right, now, in 15 years, 15 plus years of doing this show, I have never had an email that is more unusual than this. Now, I have had emails that have cursed me out or emails that have gone into great detail, written novellas about my show. This is probably the most detailed weird email I have ever had. Here we go. Mike, it's been a long time it's been a long time since I've chatted with you. I am one of those insane people you thanked and talked about uh, sticking with you for all these years. I've been listening for more than a decade and I hope you don't take this the wrong way. But I think you probably will. All right. When I started listening in late 2004, your show was much different than today's version. You were more fiery, passionate, and yet humorous. You made fun of yourself a great deal. Sure, you talked about serious and heavy stuff, but I think it was well-balanced with the various people you would bring on your show. What happened to those people? They really livened up the quality. Maybe you were more naive back then, and I would say for sure you are a wiser man now, but with <coughs> but with that, you have become more cynical and hard-edged. The witticism that I love about you still exists, but it just but it's just a drop in the bucket compared to where it was before. Maybe I'm too nostalgic, and I guess I'm one of those listeners you have talked about before that always says you were better back then. But I really think you were for the most part. So this person thinks that my show is better back 10 years ago. Anyway, so since I have listened all these years, I know you will ask, if you hate it, why are you still listening? I don't hate it, but it's like a fan of a team that was once a dynasty in their sport and is now struggling. Maybe they have some good games now and then. But the season is just mediocre because our expectations are so much higher. You set the bar really high for your show and yourself. I think your life circumstances have probably hardened you. This person's like doing a full psycho analysis. I'm reading the entire thing, by the way. We're not stopping here. All right. I think your life experiences have probably hardened you. I don't know. <laughs> I, I've never been analyzed like this in an email. I don't know, uh, I don't know you, but feel like you must have had some bad things happen to you. Perhaps you should get out and get laid or something. Release some of that stress. I don't know. I'm still a fan and always will be, but listening to you degenerate into a bleeding heart is a bit sad. Maybe it's the pot you've smoked, although I actually think that helps you. Now, before you think I am a total asshole, I loved your two or three most recent shows. Well, here we go. It had elements of your old stuff, weirdness, and craziness. 
The nap hour was so random and funny. Your voices and characters and weird thoughts are always awesome. Why do you get so buckled into the serious and spend so little on satire? I like when you talk about you. Your listeners like that. It helps us connect better with what, with that personality they enjoy. You're a smart guy, so I know you will figure out that I am not hating on your show or you personally. You probably have a huge heart and would help anyone. But these shows, man, go back to the old ways. You will see. Still a fan. Brian in Michigan. I'm just going to ruminate on that for a second. Um, that is the weirdest, most psychoanalytical email of me and my persona and what the show used to be. But I, there's kind of not really specifics in there. Like, it's one of those things where... I mean, I guess I used to have more people on the show. That's true. Um, you know, Johnny just made an appearance recently. He used to be a regular on the show, and a lot of people used to be regulars. And I have always lamented the fact that I do like it when there's co-hosts and when there's other people to bounce stuff off of in here. But apparently this person thinks I should... Um, I should go back to the old days. You know, this is one of those things. It's very weird when you do a show. And I I don't want to get too heavy into this, but there are there are people I say this about too in radio. Uh, I used to say the Howard Stern show was great. And now Howard has degenerated into what he used to make fun of. Uh, I don't think his show is is anything compared to what it used to be. And I there's a lot of reasons for that. And I'm not going to get into that today or right now. Um that's part of probably a bigger media rant that I would eventually go into. But I will say that, yes, people change and evolve. Sometimes it's for the better and sometimes it's for the worse. And, you know, my show today, I am a different person and I have lived a life. And sometimes some things have hardened me and some things have softened me up a bit. I'm still pretty much the same guy. I've lived a few more things. I've done a few things. I've had a few more experiences um, I've met some people. I have experienced things that in some ways I have to say, yeah, I do think that there are some really scummy and really bad people out there. And that's just some of the people I've dated. <laughs> no, but seriously, um, I think that there are, uh, some, uh, some experiences that I've had that have helped and some that have hurt and whatever, but I can't. I can't give you the show that we used to do back in 2005. I'm just not that person anymore. You know, I had, I probably did have more energy. It was a different kind of show. It had a different sort of feel to it. It was, um, I think it was worse than what I do today. I don't think it's nearly as focused. I don't think the audio quality is as good. Um, I don't know. I don't think I was as sharp or as savvy. But there were some good things. And when we do best of shows, yeah, I, I, there's, there's some good stuff from back then. I think that, I don't know. I, I can't sit here and analyze it because it'll just drive me crazy. The other thing about me is you can, you can give me a hundred compliments and then say one bad thing. And I'm always going to focus on the one bad thing. I mean, I appreciate you listening and 
equating me to a sports team that, you know, has gone from being great to just mediocre. I'm surprised you didn't bust out with a... I mean, it's like watching Willie Mays when he was playing with the Mets. I'm sorry, man. What can I tell you? Randy Johnson, who is a member of the San Francisco Giants. Anyway, whatever. That's one person's opinion. You can always get yours in. Groffshow at gmail.com. That is our email address. It's groffshow at gmail.com. That's also the PayPal address. Send your donations, really, because you know you want to. Groffshow, gmail.com, on PayPal. Michael Groff on Twitter and michaelgroff.com for everything else Michael Groff related. Click the subscribe button, sign up, and get email notifications every time a brand new edition of this program is posted. That's it. We're done. We will see you again tomorrow. Another edition of the Zip Code Famous Michael Graff Show will roll your way then. I wonder what he thinks of the uh, of the intro and the, the closed music and all the other things that have changed. I don't know. I'm sure I'm going to get another detailed novella. I do appreciate the feedback, though. It wasn't that bad. I've had much, much worse. We'll see you tomorrow unless I just degenerate into something worse. Good night, everybody.